...waving white canopies from who knew what endless steps, sweeping majestically over the little collection of huts by the river's edge, and continuing their journey behind the hamlet over the dark forest that very likely was also without end. The hamlet lay on the southeastern bank of the stream. There the woods of oak and lime, pine and birch grew thinner, gradually giving way to glades and the broad stretches of open grassland that were the outermost edges of the mighty steppe. Across the small river on the northwest bank, the forest was thick, dark, and unbroken. The three families who inhabited the place had arrived five summers before, and finding there an ancient deserted earthwork enclosure overgrown with scrub, had cleared it, put up a wooden palisade on the low earth wall, and built half a dozen huts inside. Nearby, two large fields cut untidy swaths into the trees. Farther into the woods, a messy patchwork of smaller clearings appeared. A few hundred yards downstream, the land on both sides became marshy and remained so for a couple of miles. Softly, the wind moved over the land. It caressed the tops of the trees so that the light undersides of the leaves shimmered pale in the starlight. The waters of the winding river and the marsh glimmered in the woods. There were few sounds except for the gentle stirring of the leaves, here and there might be heard the sounds of small animals or of the deer quietly walking. At a certain point near the marsh, against the monotonous background of the frogs croaking, an attentive ear might have picked up the crackle of a bear making its way along the wood's edge. But by the hamlet the only sound was that of the leaves, and the intermittent rustle as the breeze stroked the long field of barley, sending a ripple like a momentary shiver down its length. The wind moved, yet did not move for sometimes the field stood still or swayed in another direction, as though the wind from the east had paused lazily before brushing the ripened barley once again. It was the year A.D. 180, and yet it was not. That is to say, although future times would give to this year such a number, as yet the Christian calendar was not in use. Far south, in the Roman province of Judea, where Jesus of Nazareth had lived, Learned Jewish rabbis had calculated that it was the year A.M. 3940. It was also the 110th year since the destruction of Jerusalem. Elsewhere in the mighty Roman Empire, it was the 20th and last year of the reign of Marcus Aurelius, also the first year of the single rule of Commodus. In Persia, it was the year 491 of the Seleucid era. What year was it here, then, in the tiny hamlet at the forest's edge? So far as history is aware, it was not any year. It was five years since the last village elder died. The huge systems of numbering familiar to the civilized world and kept in written texts were unknown here, for this was the land that would one day be known as Russia. Softly, the wind moved over the land. She lay with her little boy. The worrying thoughts of the day before had passed from her mind in sleep, like the pale clouds receding over the forest behind the river, she slept at peace. There were twelve people sleeping in the hut. Five of them, including Lebed and her child, lay on the broad shelf that ran across the room over the big stove. On this warm summer night, the stove was unlit. The air was thick with the sweet, earthy smell, not unpleasant, of folk who have worked all day in the field, harvesting. To this was added the fresh scent of grasses, carried in by the breeze through the square, open frame of the window. 
She lay at one end of the wooden shelf, a lowly position, because she was the most junior of her husband's wives. She was twenty-seven, no longer young. Her face was broad, and her body had already developed a stocky roundness at the hips. Her thick, fair hair had slid over the edge of the shelf. Beside her, in the curve of her plump arm, lay a little boy of five. She had had other children before him, but they had died, and so he was all she possessed. She had been fifteen when she married, and she had always known that her husband had only taken her because she was strong. She was there to work. But she had few complaints. He was not unkind. Still a tall, good-looking man at forty, his weather-beaten face had something soft, even wistful about it. And usually when he saw her, his light blue eyes would gleam with a gentle mocking amusement as he called, Here comes my Mordvinian. With him it was a term of affection. With the others, however, it was not.